This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We, of course, had the information on our Twitter feed at 980 CFPL regarding the two testing centers in London hitting capacity and not being able to accept anybody else today. And the first response to it is fix this now. And that's what everybody in the province is hoping will happen. How do we address the numbers of people who are in line? Well, I mean, the province came out today and said that Ontarians should only seek testing at assessment centers if you are showing COVID-19 symptoms. If you've been exposed to a confirmed case of the virus or informed that you have been, if you are a resident or work in a setting that has a COVID-19 outbreak, or if you're eligible for testing as part of a targeted testing initiative directed by the Ministry of Health or the Ministry of Long-Term Care. So testing has certainly become front and center with what is going on and the fact that we've got long lines, no bathrooms, things shutting down, snaking through neighborhoods, you name it. So let's take a look outside London and talk a little bit more about testing. Dr. Joyce Locke joins us from Southwest Public Health. Dr. Locke, thanks for taking some time for us today. Thanks. Great to be with you, Mike. Can we ask you, first off, how are the testing lines in centers in in Southwest Public Health's region? Well, our testing, our assessment centers are busy. Uh, we are, uh, we do do it by appointment, not drop in, and this does help to um, decrease lineups. However, some people are getting appointments uh, not the same day, but a few days down the road. Okay, so that that can happen. What goes into the decision to do it by appointment? Because I'm sure a lot of people in those long lines would love to be able to say, yeah, you know what, if if I could set it up for 4 o'clock on Thursday, I can make it. But right now they're just kind of sitting, waiting, and and hoping. So take us through using appointments. We used an appointment approach from the beginning. Uh, The real issue was that we didn't want a lot of people who potentially all had covid milling about together in a lineup. So we thought we could uh, keep people distanced uh, by making sure that we had them done by appointment and therefore we would control the crowds at the assessment centers. Um, so it was all part of uh, mitigating transmission at the beginning, but it certainly also has helped in the current situation of increased demand. I think it leaves us all scratching our heads as to why this doesn't happen in more centers. Have you had any conversations with anybody who maybe isn't doing it by appointment in other health care units? The assessment center uh, leads do speak to each other and work out how to do things uh, more effectively. Um, I haven't been in those discussions, though. Okay. Dr. Joyce Locke joining us from Southwest Public Health. Dr. Locke, we do hear in the province outlined it again today. If you don't have symptoms, please don't go and get tested. Can you help us to maybe put some context to that message and the importance of that message? Yeah. So um, if you don't have symptoms, uh, and you are not a contact of someone who has symptoms or has been diagnosed with COVID, um, it's really unlikely that your test is going to come back as positive. 
So in general, if you don't have symptoms, then you just don't need to be tested. So that's a good message for everybody to know. I think some people wonder, uh, they have very mild symptoms. Should they get tested? We advise everybody to use the Ministry of Health COVID assessment tool. It walks you through symptoms which are from COVID. And at the end of it, it will tell you clearly whether you're a person who needs a test or does not need a test. We seem to have a lot of things coming up with runny noses in schools where you've got a lot of kids who will exhibit runny noses. What about that particular symptom? Is that enough to say, okay, we better get tested? We uh, knew that there would be an increased demand uh, for testing once school started uh, because we uh, set the threshold low and asked uh, parents to get their their children tested if they have any symptoms. A runny nose can be a symptom of COVID, but it can also be a symptom of something like seasonal allergies. Sometimes people get a runny nose when they go from inside to outside or from warm to cold. Even just starting to eat sometimes will make your nose run. Uh, Parents tend to know their children. They tend to know when a runny nose is pretty routine for their child or when their child may be showing symptoms which are unusual for that child. So we do ask parents to use their clinical judgment. Um, And if that runny nose seems to be pretty common for your child, um, they're known to have it a lot, and uh, they're otherwise they're bouncing happy selves, uh, I think we can trust the parent's judgment. If the parent does have a concern, though, that there might be something more going on, and the the assessment center's there for them to get it sorted out. Yeah, I get the feeling that that has a lot of people in a lot of lines around the province. We're talking with Dr. Joyce Locke, Medical Officer of Health with Southwestern Public Health. As far as young children go, let's say you have someone who's four years old or five years old, can they get a COVID test just the same way that everybody else does? Yes, they can. Um, There are... uh, All the assessment centers um, are fully capable of seeing children, uh, no matter how young. Uh, So, yes, the assessment centers are equipped for that, as well as the uh, swabs that we use are very, very tiny and thin. um, And so they will fit in a nose, no matter how small. Um, And then in case uh, there are any further issues, there are some slight changes in the way the swab could be taken that the assessment center staff could use if they really needed to. Dr. Locke, we did see a bit of a flare-up in your area in places like Elmer and in Bayham, and we've seen numbers really come down from where they were weeks ago. Can you point to what maybe has allowed that to happen? Well, I think it is due to the hard work of our citizens um, and due to the hard work of my public health unit staff at following up with cases and contacts. So the best way to stop the spread of COVID is to stay apart. And we know from our flattening of the curve last March that that works. And this incident in the area, Bam and, and Elmer, shows the same thing. If, if people self-isolate uh, when they have symptoms, 
Um, if we can follow up with your contacts uh, quickly and make sure that they also self-isolate, then we can get these outbreaks under control. And it does speak to the message again to everybody how important it is to continue on with physical distancing and wearing a mask because that's what it takes to keep COVID from spreading. Medical Officer of Health with Southwestern Public Health, Dr. Joyce Locke with us. Dr. Locke, one other thing. If we're going to be planning for fall and winter, you mentioned a couple of things that we can be doing with social distancing and masking. Anything else that you want people to keep in mind? Well, I think that uh, we've seen the decrease uh, in the size of unmonitored uh, social gatherings that came out from the ministry it is a message to all of us that we tend to let our guard down when we are with those that we are closest to. Um, and so once again, to remember that when we're talking and when we're eating, we spread those droplets that may be infected with COVID very easily. So even when we're with our loved ones, um, keep those gatherings small and stay apart. We've done a great job at, at work, and I suspect we're going to do a great job in schools, but uh, be on our guards when we're at home. Well, Dr. Locke, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for being here, and keep safe. Make my pleasure. That is Dr. Joyce Locke, Medical Officer of Health with Southwestern Public Health. So by appointment, and that's an interesting one, how much would that do a big backlog? Because, again, the, the demand in Southwest Public Health, as much as Dr. Locke says it's been busy, you're not seeing lineups around the corner. So is that something that is because of the appointment? It's difficult to know. Um, if We'd have to almost have a city or a municipality switch to the appointment-based screening as opposed to just waiting in lines. But it's certainly something to think of. We asked Dr. Locke if you missed it, and she hasn't been a part of conversations deciding whether or not a municipality or, or a public health unit makes use of appointment testing. It might be something to ask in just a while. If you are brand new to London and somebody says FOCO to you, don't take offense. They're, they're not calling you a name. It's a thing, and it's a thing that has come around for a few years since homecoming was moved to a different time, and we're not going to rehash the entire story of FOCO, but it has created issues in the way of big gatherings, big parties, big, 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 big numbers of people on roofs. Some have fallen off in the past. We don't want any of that. We don't want any of that happening. This year is a little bit different in that we, of course, are in the middle of a pandemic, and nobody wants to see big gatherings at all. They can now be very costly. We've been listening, we've been asking, and we haven't heard too much in the way of FOCO mentioned at all. But let's check in with Western University. Jenny Massey is the Associate Vice President of Student Experience at Western. Jenny, how is Thursday going? Thursday is going so far so good, Mike. How's your Thursday going? You know what? Not too bad. And I think we need to give a, a quick clap to every one of the students who have decided, you know, maybe the behavior we've been doing is, is not the behavior we should be doing. And the ones that were maybe having those backyard parties have, have kind of settled down from what we can gather. Have you seen anything different or heard anything different? 
I couldn't agree with you more. I think that um, the uh, the reports that we're hearing from our colleagues in public health, our bylaw officers, our, our mayor, is really highlighting the fact that Western students listened carefully to the concerns of the community and have responded very appropriately. I'm I'm very very pleased and encouraged uh, by the change in in activities that we've seen over the past week or so. Well, here's hoping that it continues. They can have their small gatherings. They can stay in their bubbles. They can experience the experiences. It just has to be done on a bit of a smaller scale for now. Now, if we go back to years previous and we look at the upcoming weekend, FOCO tends to dominate, and FOCO's even had things like Purple Fest attached to it, and students, they love to take part, and there aren't usually very many that are taking part in a way that becomes concerning, other than the numbers that gather on Broughdale Avenue. What do we know about this year, Jenny? Are you hearing anything? Well, what we're hearing from our students is that they are uh, they're listening very carefully to the messages being um, uh, shared by the university, by our uh, university students council, and by our colleagues in public health. And um, we can see from the number of students coming forward to, to get tested, uh, from the decline in the activity uh, downtown and in our in our local houses, that students really are taking their responsibility uh, to care for themselves, to care for each other, and to care for our community seriously. And uh, and I am uh, cautiously optimistic that that will continue um, uh, throughout the rest of the semester. We've kind of been scouring anything we can find, and we haven't really seen too much chatter about it. So that's that's probably a good sign. Would you take that as a good sign? I think it's absolutely a good sign. You know, I, as I have said before, large unsanctioned street gatherings are, are never safe, but uh, never more so is that the case than it is this year. Uh, the complexities and the risks brought about by COVID-19 are real and they're serious, and we all have to take them uh, and, and take our responsibilities uh, quite seriously. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on, and uh, I'm looking to our students to exercise common sense, uh, a good judgment, and, and be the, uh, the upstanding citizens that I know that they can be. Jenny Massey joining us, Associate VP of Student Experience at Western University. Jenny, does the university allow itself to give a whew, yet a sigh of relief over what hasn't blown up into more of an outbreak than what we saw or what hasn't so far created any cases that you would say, oh, no, anything like that? Or is this still a situation where, okay, let's make sure we're all the way through what has gone on and make sure everybody is, is now paying attention to those requests? Well, you know, epidemiologists would tell us that uh, pandemics are dynamic. And um, as an academic institution, we take that research seriously. We take uh, the advice from public health seriously. So we are watching uh, local numbers. We're watching uh, the rates across Ontario and across the country. And, uh, you know, we are, are hoping for the best and preparing for what needs to happen. Anything else happening around the school right now in terms of anything you're looking at? Everything is still laid out the same way in the way the classes are happening. There is still some in person and and the rest is online. That hasn't changed. Well, when we saw some of the local numbers, um, uh, the rates of COVID increased. The university did uh, make the the decision to to shift gears a little bit and uh, move into a modified version of our phase three reopening. We had moved forward into phase four. So we've kept the brakes a little bit and uh, begun to close some activities on campus. Uh, So there's no uh, in-person dining where we still have some of our restaurant facilities that are are available for takeout for students that are studying um, on campus or, of course, staff 
staff and faculty that are working here. Um, we have temporarily closed our campus recreation center uh, just to limit the flow of, of, of people uh, through some of our spaces. Um, and we'll be continuing to, to monitor trends and patterns here over the next day, few days and weeks, and we'll make adjustments uh, as, as we need to. Day by day. Jenny, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. And here's hoping that FOCO is very, very quiet in 2020. I certainly hope so. Thank you so much, Mike. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Jenny Massey. Jenny is the vice president of student experience at Western University. So smaller groups, there isn't anything big planned. Last year there were concerts. The year before there were concerts, Purple Fest. That sort of thing is not going on. And, hey, the word consequences, that means so much. They don't have to be nasty things. You have to be able to follow through. That's the key in consequences, whether it's parenting or whether it is managing, whatever it is. If there are consequences, people can appreciate those consequences. Lots of times, that's what makes their decisions work. We didn't have a lot of consequences at first for what was going on. There, there would be fines or there would be warnings. And I don't fault anybody for that. You've got to give people the benefit of the doubt. You don't want to walk in and start saying 10000 bucks for you, 10000 bucks for you, even though I think we were almost at that point to say, come on, seriously. But now we, we do have that power. And what have we seen? We have seen things quiet down according to police services and according to the university. Will it rise up? This is... The thing we talked about the other day, is this the classroom where you say, shh, and everybody gets quiet, and then all of a sudden that rumble starts to grow? Or is this something where you say it once, and everybody falls in line? It is the opposite of making it to the big leagues, where they give you tens of millions of dollars. We're talking tens of billions and now hundreds of billions of dollars that have had to go into battling COVID-19 and have stretched the deficit even further. Deficits closing in on $400 billion. How do you address that? Did we hear that yesterday? I'm still listening. I don't know that we did. What about spending on things that we described yesterday as being painting the exterior of the house instead of replacing the drafty windows. What about that? What about the green side of things, the environmental side of things? Joining us right now is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Aaron Woodrick. Aaron, thanks so much for taking some time for us. What did you make of what you heard yesterday? Yeah, you know, there weren't a lot of surprises in terms of what we'd heard, you know, leaked to the media in advance. I was disappointed that the government really just sort of shrugged off the cost issue. Uh, I certainly wasn't expecting them to say they're going to balance the budget right away, but to just sort of suggest that there's absolutely no issue with spending was pretty disconcerting. Um, Obviously, this was a speech. This is not a budget, so we didn't see the numbers. And the real test, Mike, is going to be the uh, economic update sometime this fall. That'll finally put some meat on the bone we know what the themes are. We're going to see exactly what the bill is later this fall. And if that bill falls into any certain range, do alarm bells go off? Well, I think they're already going off for a lot of people. I mean, to give people some perspective, because I know for a lot of people, once you get into billions, it's all it all just sounds like a lot of money. 
the deficit's already 20 times larger uh, than we thought it was going to be, uh, you know, six months ago. Um, we're spending about $2 uh, right now for every $1 coming in. So it's, it's not a small thing. Um, and it's something we're going to have to get control of eventually. I realize there's an emergency, and I think the government is stressing that we have to spend on some things. That's true, but there are other things that are nowhere near as high priority um, or have nothing to do with the pandemic that the government in this speech suggests that they want to spend a lot of money on. We are talking with Aaron Woodrick, who is the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. So that fiscal update will be big because it will put a real number on it. How about the references? We described it on the show yesterday as if you've got drafty windows, announcements that will be, yeah, we're, we're going to leave the windows, but we're going to make sure and paint the outside of the house. How much of that do you feel we got yesterday that might be concerning the Canadians? I think far too much. I mean, there are, there are must-haves and there are nice-to-haves, and the number of nice-to-haves in this speech was quite alarming. Uh, and it, 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 you know, by amazing coincidence, Mike, it matched exactly the list of things that the Liberals thought were nice to have before the pandemic. Uh, and even then, they, they did not propose to do them. So it's a very strange thing to say, well, we can't afford to do this stuff when we have a $20 billion deficit. But now that we have a $400 billion deficit, now is the right time. I just I don't think for most people that makes much sense. As far as the green corporate welfare plan and where that's headed, how do you read that? Yeah, look, this is a strategy the government's tried in every industry. Now they're dressing it up as a way to fight climate change, but it's the same story. You have businesses that can't turn a profit. Taxpayers subsidize them. This supposedly creates jobs, but the jobs only last as long as the subsidy, and it's just not a sustainable economic plan. Uh, I was referring to the uh, the news that the government, both federal and provincial, are going to subsidize Ford Motor to build electric cars in Ontario. I have no problem with electric cars. If they want to build cars here, that's great. But for us to have to give them half a billion dollars to do that um, really only buys us the opportunity to subsidize them more down the road. Aaron, as a final question, we still have to see this throne speech upheld. We still have to see a little bit of help for a minority government to get through this. What do you expect to see in the next few hours or, or the next week as as the Bloc Québécois have described it? I think that, uh, well, we know the Conservatives will vote against it. The Bloc has laid down some pretty clear uh, uh, demands. They want money, uh, and if they don't get the money in a week, they'll vote against it. So it's really all in the hands of the NDP. Um, they, are, they are making noise, and they, they are going to try and get squeeze something out of the Liberals. But I suspect, Mike, we're, we're probably going to be able to dodge an election. I don't think anybody uh, really wants to have one, at least of all the NDP. So I suspect we're, we won't have to go through that uh, rigmarole uh, this fall anyway. Last thing we need is something like that lumped onto everything else. Aaron, thank you so much for helping to make sense of this. We'll see what the fiscal update shows, what the number is, and then whether there is a strategy to deal with that. Is that the key thing to watch for, is is please give us some kind of strategy, out strategy? Yeah, they, it's what they call a fiscal anchor, some kind of uh, you know compass so that we know that they, they are not just sort of spending willy-nilly and, and recognize they at some point have to get things under control. Okay. Aaron, keep safe. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks a lot, Mike. That's Aaron Woodrick. He is the federal director with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And does that final financial anchor come? Fiscal anchor? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think any of us know. Because right now we've just seen a lot of spending. Because you have to spend.
You have to spend, but how long do you have to spend? Where do you spend? And can you keep those external programs and things that you would hope to do, can you keep those on the radar? Number one for the Liberal government yesterday when they were talking about it was the health of Canadians. That was number one. That has to remain number one. It probably, even though they said we've got four points here and they went through all four points, health right now probably has to be one, two, and three. And then maybe you turn that into a seven-point plan. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.